the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. The other half, Donald, is in Chicago, so you're stuck with me today. Uh, I have a guest that I'm really excited about. I'll get to her in just a second, but I got to say that this show, Relevant Recovery, is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. We have a two-week detox in downtown Houston, and if you complete our detox, you get two years of free aftercare, recovery support, recovery coaching, uh, IASIS microcurrent neurofeedback at our outpatient clinic, and it's at 290 and 610. If you're interested in the detox and recovery support program or IASIS from an outpatient perspective, you can give us a call at 844-AND-HOPE. That's 844-263-4673. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram at Matthews Hope Foundation. We're also on LinkedIn. And then the Relevant Recovery Show is also on Facebook and Instagram. And then Candace is working on a new TikTok that's Matthews Hope Iasis. If you check that out, some cool testimonials and things she's posting on there. And if you're listening to us on the Radio, it's Sunday at 1 p.m. And you're listening on KPRC AM 950. Or you can also listen through the iHeart app on the KPRC channel if you're not in Houston. Or in the evening, they upload our shows to our podcast channel, which is the Relevant Recovery Radio channel on the iHeart app. All of it's free. Thank you for listening. And so I'm going to get to my guest today. Uh, it's a good friend of mine. Her name is Alicia. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on. You're an outspoken person in recovery like me. <laughs> and with Donnie being gone and I got to pick who I wanted to come on, I was like, hey, let me ask Alicia because our topic today is like myths in recovery. And so I kind of want us to just have a fluid conversation around different things that you and I have heard over the years of things that people may think or say about addiction or recovery that in our experience, it just isn't freaking true. And so that way we can hopefully bring some education and why, why people say those things, why people think they tr- they're true and when they are true and when they're not true. And so um, you are in recovery yourself. So give us a little introduction of how you entered recovery, how long you've been in recovery, what type of, what does recovery mean for you? Ooh, I was <laughs> not prepared for that. Um, well, let's see, I've been sober for, um, I think I looked yesterday, it was 8.61 years today. Um <laughs> And, you know, I always knew about recovery and it was, I knew it was always available to me, but I was in the delusion that I didn't have a problem. Right. It was, you know, it was all you people had problems. <laughs> I just needed to switch substances. Yeah. If I could just get the right cocktail, then I'd be okay. Um, finally, in, I guess it was 2013, I got a DWI. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember sitting in jail and thinking, I'm a criminal now. <laughs> I'm right. a criminal because I just had to have a martini. Yeah. And I never just had one martini. Right. So, um, you know, I became willing to make some changes in my life, had some reservations about some things, and um, had a drink about a year later and came mm-hmm. right back. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and recovery for me, man, it's just a whole different way of life. Right. You know, I didn't know how to live before. 
And, you know, I I'd had no principles and I kind of wanted all the wrong things and had no idea that I wanted all the wrong things. Right, right. Because I think when people talk about uh, all like different pathways to recovery or stuff, when someone says I'm in recovery, that doesn't necessarily explain what w- what someone means. Um, for some people, uh, recovery is abstinence based or 12 step based or spiritually based or medication based or behavior modification based or moderation based. Like what does recovery mean for you in that context? Oh, well, it's it's 12 step based. OK, <laughs> yeah, I have 12 step based recovery. Um, and. Yeah, man. I mean, my life looks vastly different than it did eight and a half years ago. Yeah. And I want different things. And I'm no longer driven by an obsession to drink and use. Isn't that pretty cool? It's really cool. I think before I got sober, I really didn't understand that there was a possibility that I could have a life where day to day I'm not struggling to stay sober. Like, I really just thought Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be white knuckling it for the rest of my life and trying to fight addiction. I didn't have a clue that you could be completely neutral and have that desire gone. Um, on a hopefully permanent basis, depending on my, my spiritual condition, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just didn't know. And I think that you are someone who I respect and love within the 12-step fellowship community. You and I kind of do that lifestyle in a very similar way. Um, and it works really well for both of us. Uh, and it's not everybody's cup of tea, so I'm not saying everybody has to do it the way we do it or that needs to everybody needs to be in our pathway. But... I just want us to dissect some ideas or topics that people may think. And for instance, when you were not sober, you worked in bars. And even though you're eight years sober, you still work in bars. I have, I have <laughs> never, never been in a situation where I am shielded from alcohol. Right. I have always been around alcohol. I've always been around people drinking. So myth number one. In order to stay sober, I got to avoid temptation. (laughs) What's your experience on that? Well, you just can't avoid temptation. Mm -hmm. You know, I could I go to H-E-B on a Saturday and there's somebody handing out uh, wine samples. (laughs) I've got to go to the grocery store. Yep, Um, It's everywhere. And I can remember in very early sobriety, you know, seeing it and thinking, oh, that'd be a good idea and Mm -hmm. wanting it, having that what we call that obsession. Mm hmm. But working the steps and the obsession was removed. Right. And um, today, I'm like I said, I'm it's more than half the days out of the week. I'm around people who are drinking eight, six to eight hours a day. Right. And alcohol is being served. Um, every now and then in the summertime when it's really hot outside, <laughs> I'll think, man, there's this bar I work at has a cucumber cooler. And I think, man, that sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. And then I yeah. have the same thought, which is That'll maybe I'm just thirsty. <laughs> I'll have a Topo Chico. Right. <laughs> and and that desire goes away. Goes away. Because it's not a desire for to change the way I feel. It's just a desire for something wet in my mouth. <laughs> right, right. Because I think that you and I know a lot of people in recovery with years sober who are still bartenders, including yourself. And uh, and so I just wanted to smash that myth that somehow you're never going to be able to be around temptation and you're going to accidentally end up drunk. That's not our experience. No, <laughs> as, as long as I stay spiritually fit. Right, right, right. right. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio.
Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with your host, Heather Mosier. Donnie's in Chicago. I've got my good friend, Alicia P. here. We're talking about myths. Myths about recovery, myths about addiction. And so here's the next question for you, Alicia. If someone just uses their willpower, they should be able to just stop. (laughs) Who can use willpower and who can't? Well, like... I can't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. If I could stay sober on my own willpower, I would have gotten yeah. sober a long time ago. Right. And, um, you know, long before I did. And some people can. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where we're talking about chronic addiction versus acute addiction. Right. You know, some people maybe get into a situation where they're, you know, I guess don't know how addictive cocaine is. Right. And end up doing a little recreational cocaine, get addicted. They mm-hmm. need to go to a detox. They can they get some knowledge and some willpower. They don't like the way it messed up their life, and they can leave and mm-hmm. never do cocaine again. Same same scenario. They know the consequences exactly. So you're describing an acute ad- addicted person, and I'll I'll do it with pain pills. Someone who goes and has a surgery or two and gets chemically dependent upon pain pills, and it becomes a problem, and they may be abusing them. And so they got to go to a detox or a 30-day and get it out of their system and get some new coping skills, and they can just never return to pills. Even mm-hmm. though they had a bad problem with pills, and your example is this person had a bad problem with cocaine, uh, the acute can use willpower to just choose sobriety. But what about the chronic? <laughs> So, yeah, I'm chronic. I am too. I have a lot of willpower. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm capable of getting a lot of things done. That was something that I could not do on my own willpower. Stop drinking. I could not stop drinking. I couldn't stop taking pills. Like there was, yeah, (laughs) there were a lot of substances that I could not stop using on my own willpower. For good. For good. Yeah. I could switch to another substance. Right. But sobriety, because I wanted it. That was foreign. Absolutely incapable of that there's a speaking of switching substances uh i help people get sober matthew's hope and there's so many people that come in all the time and said well i quit cocaine 20 years ago or i quit mm-hmm. heroin heroin 10 years ago and i'm like but you're here because you've been drinking for 10 years bob you yeah. know and it's like people just don't grasp that they've only swapped substances and they've never been sober And so it's like chronic addiction crops up in a lot of different ways. It may not be one single drug of choice, as people call it. It can look like a plethora of things. And so for what you're saying is a chronically addicted person will absolutely not be able to stay stomped using something based on willpower. Absolutely not. I mean, that was that was my false belief. Mm -hmm. I quit doing math when I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. I did that on my own willpower. But then... You know, I had a five thousand dollar a month hydrocodone habit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and then it's but it's like, fine. Well, it's, I don't have fine. a problem with alcohol. I just need to quit taking these pills. And when I quit taking those pills, there's the alcohol. Then the only thing or that the was left was, was alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then I started drinking like I'd never drank before. Do you think that people have to like hit rock bottom in order to get sober? I don't really know what that means. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you hear it all the time. I, yeah. So here's myth number, whatever what number we're on. Uh, you got to just hit your rock bottom. Maybe rock bottom is where you need to get in order to be willing to do the difficult things yeah. to make the change. But I think that I remember trying to figure out what my rock bottom was supposed to be. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like because I had all this bad stuff that happened to me, you know, losing my kids and felonies and homelessness and um, assaults and different things. 
And I just kept thinking, is this not rock bottom yet? I'm in my third rehab. I want to be sober. What's rock bottom? And so I think, explain why that's kind of a lie or a myth. Why doesn't rock bottom really technically exist? See, I don't know. You and my, I might have different perceptions here because I think like my rock bottom is my rock bottom. Right. Only I know what that is. Yeah. And for me, what that was, was getting to the place where I realized that I couldn't do it on my own, mm-hmm. that everything I tried did not work. Right. Um, I'm very creative. I'm very intelligent. Nothing was working. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to sit down with somebody who has had the same problem and found a way to solve it and do what they say to do. So we have definitely the same definition of rock bottom then. I describe it as finding the end of myself. And and so in that sense, it doesn't matter if someone's had no arrests ever or never lost their kids or never experienced DTs mm-hmm. or, or, or did experience all those things. Like the rock bottom doesn't have anything to do, in my opinion, with external consequences. It's internal. It's an internal surrender where mm-hmm. I'm finally just, I give up, help me. Yes. I give up, help me. I I don't have any more ideas. And so I think that that is the kind of rock bottom you and I believe in, not an external. But unfortunately, some people never become willing and their rock bottom is death. And we see that all the time, that there's there's no coming back from that. And they don't I don't know how you can't create that willingness in someone. You can't create that that internal surrender for someone. Um, And so I don't know why I had that. And you had that when we did. People always ask that, like, why did it happen then for you? I think it's God. I do, too. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't me. I mean, and that's what it came down to was getting that I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There were, you know, I know a lot of things that was staying sober was something I did not know how to do. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Okay, here's another myth. Going to treatment will fix my problem. No. <laughs> Going to treatment will help you clear your mind so that you can take the action to fix Correct. the problem. Correct. So many people, though, they just think, if I just go somewhere longer, you know. I they- heard that one time. I had a friend who, their roommate went to treatment. Mm-hmm. The guy was obvi- obviously had a problem, mm-hmm. uh, like I have have problem. Mm-hmm. And um, he wanted to leave treatment and, and get drunk. Mm-hmm. At 30 days. So the treatment center said, we're going to keep him for another 30 days because he has a plan to use when he leaves. And so, well, now you're just prolonging the inevitable. Let him go and get done. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. (laughs) Okay. Here's another myth. If someone relapses, they're a lost cause. No. Mm -hmm. Relapse is part of the journey. Sometimes. Sometimes. Often. 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 For me, it was. It was part of my journey. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that it's important to recognize that there are lessons that we learn about ourselves with each relapse usually. And that helps me get to the end of me quicker, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I mean, and if you're at the end of you, like I was at, I feel I, I had surrendered mm-hmm. and I had that relapse and I got to take a look at what I was not doing before that happened. Mm-hmm. So I could redouble my efforts right. in those areas. It was definitely a learning experience. And it's something that made my recovery stronger in the end. Right. And so another myth is that we never recover. <laughs> you can see the eyeballs that she's making at me when I read these. <laughs> well, I'm trying not to cuss. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's BS. It's absolute BS. <laughs> Um, we never recover. We're always recovering. No. So um, he said, if, if I've been sober for eight and a half years. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I haven't necessarily been recovered mm-hmm. every single one of those days. Right. I've been sober. Every single for, one. Mm-hmm. Uh, recovery, I think being recovered is something that happens on a daily basis. Yeah. Right. I get up and I, I pray, I meditate, I form a, I deepen my connection with my higher power. I do that throughout the day. That day I'm recovered. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important for people to know what we mean by recovered. Um, when we look at the illness that we have, this guaranteed to get loaded again because I have this obsession, um, when I say I'm recovered, it just means I'm spiritually fit today and God has removed that desire today. And so if I'm not fighting that drink or that drug idea, if I'm like neutral to it in a place of neutrality, that's what we mean by recovered and we don't mean cured. Right? Correct. <laughs> um, what about... If someone says, someone's trying to get sober and someone tells them, you can do this, just believe in yourself. <laughs> that sounds like willpower. <laughs> right? But it sounds fluffy and kind and affirming. Well. Do you think it's a setup for failure? Believe in yourself. Just believe I mean, in yourself. You just, can do it. I, if I could do it, I would have done it. <laughs> That's right. what I, you know, I need a spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for I, people who are chronic. Need a spiritual connection. We're hopeless. Yeah. We need a spiritual connection. We need something greater than ourselves that's going to solve our problems. And one of the ways I can't do it. Act, absolutely. And one of the ways that's worked for us has been the 12 steps providing that path to spirituality. Uh, we got to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We're talking about myths and we'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather. Donnie's in Chicago. Got my good friend, Alicia. We're talking about addiction and recovery myths. What are myths that you think? You can feel free to message me on the Relevant Recovery Facebook channel. If you would like to ask me any questions or me and Alicia any questions, we would love to help you understand addiction and recovery. So, Alicia, before we went to the break, we were talking about that it's a myth, that if you just believed in yourself enough, if you just loved yourself enough, you'd be able to be sober because we've already talked about how willpower isn't the answer. And so this is kind of going into the self-love category. The next question is, if you just, the myth, if you just learned to love yourself, then you'd stop engaging in destructive behaviors. What do you think about that? (laughs) Without cussing. (laughs) Well, yeah, to learn to love yourself. And, And I do remember that when I first got sober, I was just overwhelmed with a sense of self-loathing yeah and a profound sense of uselessness Mm -hmm. but you know I didn't drink and use because I didn't love myself you know and I was that's not why I was filled with self-loathing I was filled with self-loathing because I couldn't stop drinking and using even though I didn't want to anymore um and I have learned to love myself, but I've done that through practicing loving others. Right. I've done that through self-sacrifice. So this idea that, um, you know, that like relapse is due to self-sabotage. Yeah. I'm just self-sabotaging. No, no, you've let up on the spiritual program of action in some way. Yeah. Um, and that's leading you back to Because in our your, mentality, your, your disease. relapse equals a spiritual sickness equals a relapse if it's un, unchecked long exactly. enough. And so in our experience and what 
12-step literature teaches us is that spiritual connectivity equals recovery and neutrality and happiness and usefulness and contentment and sobriety. But the spiritual sickness equals misery and unmanageability and self-loathing and eventually the relapse. And so that's our idea principles around the 12-step idea. And so I agree with you. I think that I had a hard time with like insecurities and different things early in recovery and through learning how to live this lifestyle and practicing like serving others and doing things for God and practicing spiritual principles, it's really developed a much better, more balanced sense of self-esteem in a healthy way, I think, for, for me. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen in a lot of people, but I didn't focus on my self-esteem to get well. No, you're, you've, you focus on helping others, others. and serving God <laughs> and growing closer to God and you grow in your self-esteem yep. as a result. As a result of it. Mm-hmm. It's not the means. Right. I think there's a, in the back of the book somewhere it says when you stop focusing on the problem and you start focusing on the solution, the problem goes away on its own. Something like that. Yeah, and what so, we focus on grows. I know. And it's like, I always thought, here's how I re- receive that message today. I need to stop focusing on my self-esteem or my drinking. And if I just focus on instead on the solution, which is getting connected to God and helping others, then the problem of my bad self-esteem or my drinking seemed to go away on its own. I didn't have to focus on it for it to fix itself. Isn't that wild? It's really crazy. (laughs) All right, another myth, or maybe it's true. I don't know, you tell me. What if someone says, just play the tape through, just think through the drink, just put the plug in the jug and don't drink no matter what. Well, I guess that works great if you're acute. Correct. Yeah. You know, um, you know, play, the playing the tape through, and that's something. So, you know, just full disclosure, I never went to any treatment. I have mm-hmm. zero experience with rehab, treatment, detox, sober living. You went straight nothing. to a twelve step fellowship. I went yeah. straight to a twelve step fellowship, and um, and I think Donnie did too. And. So we're at this day and age, we're almost like enigma. I know. There's, there's, you, everybody you else has so been to treatment 38 times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that I hear from people who've been to treatment is just play the tape through. It's crazy. And I can't play the tape through. Yeah. Or I play the tape through and, and say, I don't anyway. care. Mm-hmm. But I know that there were times where, I mean, make a firm resolution I'm just resolute that I'm not going to drink again because what happened last time was so humiliating and yeah. so just Can't awful do it again. don't want to ever do that again not going to drink again and then next thing I know I have a drink in my hand and there was zero thought right no thought process before it happened mm-hmm. and now I'm drinking right if I could just play the tape through right I think that that's what happens this the connection to God gives me the ability mm-hmm. To sometimes to play the tape through. Not only does the desire get removed, but and I don't have the obsession. But when the thought pops into my head, like "Ooh, a cucumber cooler sounds delicious," <laughs> that thought is insane, but replaced with I yeah, God gives me the ability to play the tape through and have some sane thinking around that issue. I think that you and I have very similar ideas. I I think I have it written in the side of my big book. Like my ability to play the tape through is directly correlated to my connection to God that moment of that minute of that day, and if I'm not adequately connected that thought's going to mess with me or I, it, it will win mm-hmm. and uh and so i went to treatment a lot well five times um but i tried to get sober hundreds of times 
uh, on my own willpower in jail and treatment and detoxing on people's couches and stuff. And so by the time I end up in the 12 steps, I had a lot of experience around powerlessness and the insanity. I didn't need extra convincing. But even after the illness was explained to me, I still relapsed for another year before I was like, okay, I'll do what you guys say, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so interesting. I think it. we're not saying acute alcoholics are wrong or better than chronic alcoholics are wrong or better than. It's like they're two different types and people don't know that. And so like if you go on the internet, man, and you're looking on recovery pages or anything like that, there's always people arguing about whether or not addiction is a choice. And it makes me so sad that I just can't even take the time to try to be on there and educate people because they get so visceral with it. But there'll be an acute alcoholic or an acute drug addict saying addiction's absolutely a choice. This happened. I got this consequence and I just quit. Well, if that's, I, that's if true I can for do them. it, I know. And they don't have a clue that they were just an acute alcoholic and not chronic, not powerless. Mm -hmm. And they had a bad problem. They're almost offended when you tell them they're not a real alcoholic if the phrase real that our literature uses it's like i'm not saying you weren't an alcoholic you were a different type than me and so some people stop at the acute stage some people don't catch it in time and it progresses to the chronic stage where you don't have a choice and this insane idea wins and i think sometimes in my experience and your experience we've been in 12-step meetings and i'll hear people all the time say just put the plug in the jug or just don't, don't drink, drink no, no matter, matter what. what but i drink no matter what that's, that's the commonality of the illness we have in the 12-step world. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's always baffling to me that, that we hear those sort of things because then a newcomer might be persuaded to think that they just need to try harder, that they just need to think it through or do the five things a day or whatever it is, the toolbox things that people learn in treatment. And then they end up drinking again and they think the 12 steps doesn't work or that yeah they lose hope yeah they lose hope because that's you know you and i are sitting here we're talking a lot about about god and the connection and spiritual fitness and that was something that i didn't understand for the longest time was foreign you know that i what do you mean i need god and i did i don't think anyone ever explained to me i kind of just had to learn through experience that the 12 steps are a path to God. Yeah. I didn't understand, like, you want me to do all this work and do all this writing, somehow this is going to fix my problem. Well, in the end of it, you have a connection. Right. And then the problems remove. Right. Um, and some people are don't have to do all of that. Right. So, good question then. Is this a myth or a fact then? Uh, going to 12-step meetings is a program of recovery. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so 12-step meetings, and, you know, just, I'm a member of two separate 12-step right. fellowships. 12-step meetings are meetings where we talk about the 12 steps of recovery in that program. Right. The, 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 the program is the 12 steps. Actually, and actually working, working them and practicing the things that you, the, the, practicing those things in your daily living. Right. And so that's the program. I didn't understand that when I was new, man. I thought going to a whole bunch of meetings meant I was working the program. I had no clue. And uh, then I kept relapsing, and then they're like, hey, you have to actually work these steps and these steps and these steps. And because of my intellectual pride, I thought mm -hmm. I was already connected to God, and I didn't need to work the steps. I just need to go to better meetings. Well, and, and please work the steps with a guide who has also worked work the, the steps. steps. Yeah, Don't yeah. work the steps on your own. <laughs> because um, <laughs> that's another misconception that I see because uh, I'll, I'm working these steps I'm yeah. working yeah I'm, I'm read the book yeah I'm, I'm on I've I'm on read step it, four I've read it five times yeah 
Yeah, have you done any of it, Bill? Like, have you followed any of the instructions that it tells you to do under the guidance of someone who's done it? Yes. You know, and it's like people, it's just over their head. They think that because they spent years going to meetings or talking to a sponsor in a fellowship that they've somehow worked the program. And they're blindsided when I have to tell them that they absolutely have not worked the program. And uh, I always play a little trick on the people in, in detox. I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever been to 12 steps. No, half will go up. I'll say, keep your hand up if you ever had a sponsor and work some steps. Half, half the hands go down. And I'll say, keep your hand up if you worked all 12 steps and sponsored other people consistently. All, all hands, hands go, go down. down. And then, but one hand will be like, ah, I'm confused on how to answer that. And they'll want to tell me, well, I worked all 12 steps, but I never sponsored other people. And the really sad one, I have to tell them, well, then you only worked 11. Your sponsor Mm -hmm. has lied to you because the 12th step is sponsoring other people. No wonder you're back here. You know, it's the program. We got to take a quick break. Uh, We're talking about myths of addiction and recovery with Alicia. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier, special guest, Alicia. Donnie's in Chicago. And we're talking about recovery and addiction myths. And um, I just want to ask you, because here's something I've heard for sure. People say, find a sponsor who has what you want. What does that mean? (laughs) Because explain to me what you think other people think that means. Well, that's, I'm thinking about, I've, I'm, I've, I have speculation about how that phrase came, came about. about. I know. You know um, because, <laughs> you know, what we want is to be sober, right? Hypothetically. Hy- hypothetically. I mean, you do. I don't write um, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, what what I wanted and what I thought that meant was I wanted, it was, was a sponsor that had, um, a bunch of money, mm-hmm. and red bottom shoes, great body, yeah. nice clothes, a two story house, and six fingers in the bank. Because that's what I wanted, right? <laughs> and that's not what yeah. they mean. That's I don't think that's what they mean <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, but also in the context, uh, that when you say, "Hey, you know, find a sponsor who has what you want," some people interpret that as, "Oh, they have a stable relationship," or, um, "Oh, they've been sober ten years." Mm -hmm. Or I want to be sober 10 years. You know, people have all these ideas of what they think they want or need in a sponsor. But let's just kind of shatter the the myth and you go ahead and tell us what do you really need to find in a sponsor? What does a sponsor need to have? See, and I like to take the phrase and twist it Mm -hmm. to find a sponsor who likes what they have. Yeah. Because those are those are the people that you want to be around, the people who are smiling, the people who are happy, content. Um, what I've found, you know, because I've I'm mature in my sobriety and I have some time in the twelve in, in the rooms of recovery. Yeah, that um, you know, I want a sponsor who has intuition, mm-hmm. who has a connection to God. Yeah, who has knowledge of our basic text. Yeah, I want a sponsor that gives me specific directions about what to write, what to pray about, what to read. Yeah. That's what I want in a sponsor. That's what I found to be most effective. And I think that looking back at how I twisted that phrase, finally, you know, get a sponsor. I, I picked all the 
craziest things, trying to find a sponsor that was heavily tattooed or also loved heroin or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, but now on the other side of it, what I realize is when I'm newly sober, I have no idea what I need. Well, I wanted all the wrong things. Right. And so I think that when you're looking to pick a sponsor, they need to, on the base level, have had an experience with the 12 steps themselves in our text. And they need to be willing to spend time with you and pass that on to you. They need to have spiritually what you're wanting to grow towards. And and if you got those basics, then go for it. They don't need to be the same age as you. They don't need to have the same drug of choice as you. They don't need to be married or have kids like you. Mm-mm. None of that is needed. Nope. And so I just kind of went on a rant with that. Sorry. Uh, okay. So no, well, everything you said, I, I 100% <laughs> agree with. Um, what about someone who says, you know, that I've finished the steps? We never finish the steps. <laughs> but I've completed them. I've completed the 12 steps, Alicia. I'm done. I'm president of the 12 step world now. <laughs> <laughs> we all know you are, Heather. <laughs> um. Well, you know, the last three steps. Yeah, never done. Are you are something you're supposed to continue doing on a Over daily a basis? Over a lifetime. Yes. Yeah. And I think that people forget that it's when I, when you've worked when you have had experience with all twelve steps. That's not a done destination. That's just the foundation upon which to build the rest of your life on. Absolutely. You know. Um, well, what about triggers? I love this because I work in treatment and I have to deal with this language all the time. But what about someone who says you just gotta identify your triggers and avoid them so you can stay sober. Okay. So um, I want to be clear that, I mean, triggers do exist. For what type of person? For, you know, for, but not for, not in the realm of chronic addiction and alcoholism. Um, Because, you know, so if you have PTSD, if you grew up maybe being abused by a man, when a man raises his voice, you, your central nervous system is activated. Yep. You know, that's that's a trigger. Right. And we're now we're talking that's talking about PTSD. Right. But we're talking about alcoholism, chronic alcoholism and and addiction. Mm -hmm. Right. I am my trigger. Yeah. (laughs) And wherever I go, there I am. I cannot avoid triggers. It's, you know, I can't not be around people who talk about certain things Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's this is the I or go places where alcohol is or drive down the street where I used to buy drugs. Mm -hmm. This is all external stuff. I'm trying to manage the outside so that I can make my insides okay. And it doesn't work long term. That doesn't work. In fact, our literature talks about uh, if our plan to combat alcoholism is to shield the sick man from temptation, it's doomed to failure. You may succeed for a little bit of time, but you're going to wind up with a bigger explosion than ever. Mm-hmm. And for chronics, that's true. And so it's so interesting clinically how the treatment industry just has this model of we've got to find out what your triggers are and have these coping skills. And people say, oh, my, my daughter's my trigger. Okay, well then, Susan, ignore your daughter then for the rest of your life so you can stay sober. It does doesn't work that way. Instead of how about you have an, you change your outside circumstances. <laughs> Don't have an internal change here's the crazy so that thing. you can have a better relationship with your daughter. Even if she ignored Susan for the rest of her life, she'd still drink again because it's not the problem. It's a misplaced identification. Mm-hmm. And so people think, oh, if you had my childhood, you'd drink too. Well, people have had that childhoods that don't end up in detoxes or Absolutely. in 12-step worlds. You know, I'll show you some people that have had those things happen and they don't drink or drug themselves into this situation. We're different. And so I think it's real important that in a chronic addiction context, I agree with you completely that 
Um, the problem is me internally, if I'm chronic, meaning I'm spiritually sick. And so wherever I go, there I am. Geographical fixes don't change me. Uh, changing people, places, and things, or avoiding neighborhoods, or avoiding bars, or avoiding certain movie. That When I'm newly sober, anything will trigger me, if we're going to use that word, because I don't Please have... don't use that word. <laughs> anything will, because being conscious or being awake or the day ending and why, you know, I love Fred's story in our book, because it was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. He mm-hmm. made money, and then he accidentally ended up drunk. And so what should have Fred had, have avoided? Put yourself in a padded room with a straitjacket. That's, That's no way what to they live used life. to do to people like us before the 12 steps. And I just think it's so sad. So I want people to know that for chronic addiction specifically, specifically, um, if you're not recovered, anything, you'll drink for any reason. Doesn't matter. You can be hungry, angry, lonely, tired, same people, places, things, different town, different state, different job, different wife, no kids, yes, kids, whatever. You're going to drink. You're not drinking because of those externals. You're drinking because of your own internal condition. And so, but once you fix that internal condition through something like the 12 steps that works for us, um, all of a sudden, nothing could make me drink. Nothing. I can match calamity with serenity, and I'm not afraid of accidentally ending up drunk because I go to a Slipknot concert and people spill beer on me, you know? <laughs> it's like I don't end up drunk, and it's crazy. And uh, we can become recovered in that way. What about someone who says, well, you need to wait until you have a year sober to help other people or to sponsor? That's just bad advice. I think it's so sad. It's really sad because... You know, we talked earlier about that profound sense of uselessness and the low self-esteem, mm-hmm. right? And and doing things for God to build self-esteem. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to look in the mirror and I hated myself. Right. And nothing has done more for my value mm-hmm. as a person than helping other women recreate their lives. Right. And I look in the mirror and I cannot look in the mirror and say, you're a POS. Yeah. When I know that I'm helping people do those kinds of things, yeah. and it is the thing that works when all other activities fail, it is it's it's ensures immunity. It's from like drugs literally and in our literature, it, to, to do this, it really <laughs> does. And it, it does. And nowhere does it say wait. Right. I don't know why people would wait. There's this concern, like, oh, we're, what if I mess them up? You cannot mess someone like me up more than I already was <laughs> right? when I was going and asking people for help. My my sponsor, I said that to her. I said, I'm afraid of messing her up. Although I didn't say that word. I used a different word. And she used an expletive and she goes, girl, you're not that powerful. God's in charge. And then she showed me our history of how much time sober they had when they helped other people. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's very important that uh, we launch into helping others. I've really enjoyed having you on the show. I'm going to have to have you on again because there's a whole bunch of other stuff I'd like to dissect with you if you want to come back on again. Oh, I'll, this has been great. This is fun. Is, is it over already? It's over already. Already, okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening well, to the Relevant Recovery Radio for Show. Me. Thank you for being on. Give us a call at 844-263-4673 and have a great week. And don't forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though. Oh, 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 oh,